Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. I am so thankful that God does that work of molding us and changing us, that we're no longer who we used to be. We're no longer who we were, but now we are something new, that God has taken our lives and transformed us and molded us and is changing us and shaping us into something pleasing in his sight. This is a good day. I'm really thankful to be able to be here to worship the Lord together, to get into his word. So thankful for Pastor Stephen and all he does in the leading of worship and that time of being able to connect and so very thankful for Pastor Grant who, uh, yes, he will become your new best friend if you let him. He has probably about a thousand best friends and that's pretty amazing. Um, We have a great team of people and I'm just so thankful for these uh, pastors that really help lead this church and we wouldn't be where we are at today without uh, what they do and what they bring to the church um, here as a whole. We have the privilege today of taking communion together. At the end of this message, we're going to share in communion. If you did not receive one of the little communion cups when you walked in, if you want to just slip your hand up, Pastor Grant will walk around and he will uh, hand those out uh, to anybody who may need that. So make sure you have that for the end of our service time. You know, the book of Ephesians is so rich and great, especially when it comes to communion, because Ephesians is all about our redemption and how we have been set free. It talks about our past our present and our future. And really, uh, communion is about remembering what Christ has done and celebrating that and looking forward to what he's going to continue to do in our lives. We are in a series of messages covering the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. So if this is your first time here today, um, that's what we're studying right now. We are studying God's word, breaking it apart line by line, verse by verse to understand how it applies to us. My goal in preaching the word of God is to try to make it relatable to your life. I know sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes it's a little hard to understand. And uh, when we understand it in context, when we understand the culture it came out of, what Paul was saying, it really starts to become relevant to our lives. And I hope that you find that. In the book of Ephesians, it's separated into three specific parts, sit, walk, and stand. Sitting is learning, how do I just sit and rest and receive from God? How do I hear from God and really grow in his grace and receive what he has? How do I learn about what my new identity is, what my new life is, how I've been transformed? And then we learn how to walk. We're going to do that starting in chapter 4. We're going to learn how do we walk in this world? How do I do life? How do I have a marriage? 
marriage? How do I raise my kids? How do I deal with my anger? How do I deal with lying? How do I deal with the words that come out of my mouth? How do I just become a new person? And then we learn how to stand. How do I stand for God in this world? And how do I fight the spiritual battle that is waging, that is raging all around us? Well, today we are in chapter two. And we're going to pick up our study in verse 11, and we're going to read verses 11 through 22 as we get through the rest of chapter 2. As we read this, you may think, well, I don't understand what is being said, or I don't understand what Paul is covering. Don't worry, you will by the time we get through the message today. Let's read, starting in chapter 2, verse 11, and I'm reading from a version called the TLV version, that is the Tree of Life version. It is my favorite one personally because it is done by several what are called Messianic Jews. This is Jewish people that have come to believe in Jesus who write it from a Hebrew perspective because you have to understand the Hebrew culture to really understand all that the Bible is talking about. I'm going to read starting in verse 11 from the TLV version. You can follow along on your phone. You can follow the words on the screen. I would encourage you to take notes and go back and study this and read it for yourselves later as well because it's not just my job to feed you. It is your job to grow in God's grace and learn for yourselves as well, that you take hold of it and make it real in your life. Let's start chapter 2, verse 11. We're continuing a thought that we started for the past two weeks in the beginning of chapter 2. I'll come back and talk more about it as we read all of these verses. Let's just read all of them, and then we'll come back and understand. Paul writes this, therefore, now now the word therefore is tying into the previous stuff that we studied, therefore, keep in mind that once you, Gentiles in the flesh, were called uncircumcision by those called circumcision, which is performed on flesh by hand. At that time, you were separate from Jesus, from Messiah. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, in Messiah Yeshua in Hebrew, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For Jesus is our peace. He is our shalom. The one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation. Within his flesh... He made powerless the hostility. The law code of the Old Testament, the laws called the mitzvot, contained in regulations. He did this in order to create within himself one new man from the two groups making peace, making shalom. And to reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, by which he put the hostility to death. And Jesus came and proclaimed peace to you who were far away and peace, shalom, to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the same Spirit. So then, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You have been built on the foundation made up of the apostles, the emissaries and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into God's dwelling place in 
the Spirit. The title of today's message, after all that we have read, is simply this. That was then, this is now. We're going to look through this message that Paul gives. What does it mean? That was then, but this is now. This is who I was, but this is who I am today because of what Jesus has done in my life. Let's pray, and then let's get into God's word this morning. Father, I pray that we would understand your truth, that you would give us a receptive heart and a mind to understand. Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves as being connected to you as part of your family. Last week, Lord, as we talked about the fact that we are your poema, we are your tapestry, we are your poem that you have written, we are your workmanship. And I pray today that we would understand as your workmanship that your making us into who you want us to be, that we are that lump of clay that you are molding and shaping into the image that you long for. Lord, help us to be in agreement with you, to allow you to do that work in our lives, that you would remove the rough edges, that you would cut off the things that need to be cut off, that you would help us to think differently and act differently and be different because of the work you have done in our hearts. Lord, today, help us to understand how you transform us from the inside out. Thank you for the time that we could share together. Bless this time, protect this time, and help us to hear from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a prince who loved a beautiful maiden. But an enemy had captured her and had locked her away in a high tower. The prince set up a rescue plan in order to save the maiden. Well, this rescue plan, he wanted to have a couple of creatures that were going to help him communicate the plan to, the, to this maiden, so he enlisted the help of a caterpillar and a butterfly. They were going to carry the message to the maiden about this rescue plan. Now, the caterpillar's name was Claude, and the butterfly's name was Barney. Claude the Caterpillar was a crusty old character. He was always critical, always sour, and always extremely negative. Now, the prince had commissioned him in order to carry the message, and he commissioned two just to make sure that the message actually got there. Well, Claude the Caterpillar started out toward the tower to communicate the message to the maiden of the rescue plan that was going to happen. Now, Claude was quite large as a caterpillar, and he always complained. And as he was journeying along, he started to complain as per usual, because that was his nature. He said these words, wouldn't you know it, the sun would have to be shining today, which is causing me to sweat and be uncomfortable as I journey. Well, the weather changed suddenly, and now instead of sun, it began to have the clouds move in, and it began to sprinkle lightly. The temperature cooled down. Again, Claude grumbled, rain, great, just what we need. I hate rain. But he made it to the tower, 
And he found a vine that was growing up along the side of the tower, and he started climbing this vine up to the open window at the top of the tower. But the vine wasn't just a regular vine. It was actually a rose bush. And so all along, you could hear Claude saying, ouch, 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 as he climbed up the rose bush to the tower. When he reached the window, he said to the person inside, hey, lady, come here. Are you the maiden in distress? Well, she nodded and affirmed that she was indeed the maiden in distress. He gave her the once over as he looked up and down and he said, you're kidding me, right? I came all this way for you. I don't know what the prince sees in you, but he sent me with this message. Get ready. He's coming to rescue you. Get ready at five o'clock sharp. The prince will be here. Understand? She nodded and he went on his way. Well, next came Barney the butterfly. Barney's wings lifted him gracefully into the air. He flew around the tower a few times until the maiden noticed him. After she noticed him, he flew right toward the maiden and landed gently on her finger. She brought him close as he relayed the prince's message. Here's what he said. Lovely and favored maiden, the prince loves you dearly. At the sound of his voice, jump out of the window and he will catch you in his waiting arms. Oh, thank you, butterfly. You are so sweet, said the maiden. But tell me, why was the caterpillar that came bringing the good news, why did he bring the good news in such a nasty, cruel way? He was so rude. Oh, that's Claude. I used to be that way too, until I was transformed. The message of the gospel, the message of the book of Ephesians is all about transformation. And Paul starts the whole transformation process in chapter 2, verse 1, when he says this. He says, you were. What were you? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then he says in verse, in verse 4, but God has now made you alive. What would you fill in the blank in your life with those questions? You were. What would you say about yourself? I was an addict. I was a jerk. I was depressed. I was angry. I was bitter. I was critical. I was a lousy husband. I was a lousy wife. I was a terrible father. I was a terrible mother. What would you say about your life? I was dishonest. I was corrupt. I was jealous. I was not a good person. But now, what would you say about your life? When Christ comes into our hearts and into our lives, we are able to be made different than we ever were before. I was that way, but that's not who we are today. That's not who I am today. I am different. I am changed. I have been transformed by God into exactly who he wants me to be. Have you had that experience? Can you say, like that caterpillar, changed into a butterfly, yes, I was like that, but today I am different. That's how I used to be, but I was transformed. The message of Paul is that 
All of chapter 2 is about the transformation process. Again, chapter 2, verse 1. And I was, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 4. But God made me alive. He made me different. It's by his grace that I have been saved through faith. It's not my own. It is a gift that God has given me. Starting in verse 11, it's the same exact thing that he's saying. He's just saying it in a different way. I'm going to give you a summary statement of what Paul is saying in these remaining verses in chapter 2, just so you understand what Paul is after. Here's what he is saying. Remember who you were, but now understand who you are. That was then... This is now. Remember who you were, but now understand who you are. Here's what Paul said in the verses that I read as a summary statement for you to understand the message. He says this, you, I, was separate. You were excluded. You were strangers. You were far off. You had no hope. You were without God. But now, because of Jesus... I am, you are, brought near. You are reconciled. You have access to God. You are no longer strangers, but citizens of God's family. That's the whole message of chapter 2, summed up right there in just a couple of statements. I was, but I'm no longer. That was then, this is now. I want to walk through, in our remaining time, before we get to our time of communion, I just want to walk through line by line, verse by verse, what Paul is saying, and I want to give some teaching to you, some context of that culture so that you can understand what Paul was saying. Some of the things that we read, you're like, I don't understand what that means, but you will if you understand the culture that Paul was writing to. Again, he was writing to the church in Ephesus. So in many ways, we've got to put ourselves back 2,000 years into the Middle East, into that culture. Ephesus and understand exactly what Paul is saying, which is very near Israel and the Jewish culture is going to have an impact upon everything that Paul is saying. So let's look at it together, verse by verse, line by line. Let me do some teaching and explaining here for you. Paul starts in this way, therefore, now remember, what was the therefore? Therefore is relating back to everything that he had said. What did he say? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's the way the world operated. But now God has made you alive. It's by his grace that you are saved. It's all about God. Therefore, keep in mind, other Bible versions will use the word instead of keep in mind, it will say remember. Remember. Therefore, remember that once you Gentiles in the flesh were called uncircumcision by those called circumcision. So he says, I want you to remember. Do you know that remembering is one of the tools that God uses all along throughout the Bible? He says it multiple times, especially in the Old Testament. God wants us to remember where we have come from. Do you know remembering is a good thing? It can also be a very helpful process. I know for Jennifer and I, we've been married for 31 years. Some of you have had that experience. You've been married for a long time, maybe some of you less, some more. And sometimes you get caught up in the busyness of life. You know what I mean? 
kids are going multiple different directions. Uh, they're, they're busy. We're just passing each other in the house. We don't really have that much time for each other. There's times that we will go on a date, and there are some beautiful times on those dates that we'll just remember. Remember when we started dating. Remember when we had our first date. And I, I can really get her in a good mood if I start talking about those things. Remember, remember that first kiss that I gave you and how amazing that was and like life-altering that was when I kissed you? And remember those moments where we first said I love you the very first time that we said it. Remember life before we had kids and how great that was? And I'm kidding in that. Uh, kids are wonderful. <laughs> There's something about remembering, calling to mind what either life was like and how it's different or even good memories of life. Do you know that God tells in the Old Testament the people of God as they're about to cross over into what was called called the promised land. They had been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. It was a struggle and God was calling them into the promised land. Moses told them in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, he said these words to them. He says, I want you to remember all of the ways that God has been with you in these 40 years in the wilderness. And so he commanded them, set up stones. When you cross over this river in the land of Gilgal, you're going to set up stones. And every time you look at the stones, it's going to help you to remember how faithful God has been. Do you have those things in your life, those stones, as it were, set up in your life that you can look to and say, I remember how faithful God was? Every time you're discouraged, every time you feel like quitting and giving up, every time you feel like it's a struggle, you look at those stones, whatever that might be, and you say, I remember how God was with me. And I know he won't fail me again, ever. He's never has. I know he won't fail me. He's been with me. And I can look at this as a remembrance for what God has done. So Paul says, therefore, remember. Remember what? Well, remember that once you Gentiles in the flesh were called uncircumcision by those called circumcision. Now, what is he talking about? What does that mean and have to do with anything? Well, let me give you a little understanding. In that culture, in Jewish culture, in Israel, there were, according to the Jewish people, there were only two races of people in the world. They were those who were called Jews or Jewish, and there was everyone else, all the others. And all of the others were classified in a category called the Gentiles. So they would look at the world and discern the world in two types of people. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. We have a small group that are in the Jews and everybody else is part of the Gentiles. Unless you are a full 100% Jewish person today, you would fall in the category of Gentiles. The Jewish people would look at you in that way and they would refer to you in that way. What would happen between Jew and Gentile is that there would be a line of separation. 
They were all about separation. They were all about keeping themselves clean from the worldly influence of the pagan heathen Gentiles. And they would do that in a variety of ways. They wanted to make sure that they stayed separate from the Gentiles. So they would come up with rules and laws to follow to make sure that they would stay separate. Now, the Jewish people always knew their heritage. The Jewish people knew where they had come from. They knew their lineage extremely well. In fact, most Jewish people could trace their lineage back all the way several thousand years to their father, Abraham. You can learn about Abraham in the book of Genesis. Abraham was considered the father of the Jewish people. Abraham had had a relationship with God, and Abraham was given a, an agreement with God called a covenant. This covenant agreement that he had with God, the sign and the symbol of the covenant agreement was that they would get circumcised. So Abraham circumcised his son Isaac and all of the male servants and all of the people in the home, they got circumcised. And circumcision was the outward visible sign that we are God's people and that we relate to God and that we have a relationship with God. Well, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had a son by the name of Jacob. Jacob would have 12 sons, and they would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And everybody was circumcised if you were Jewish. And if you were Jewish, you could trace your lineage all the way back to the tribe that you belonged to. And therefore, you could trace your way all the way back to Abraham. What they began to do is to separate themselves from the world. Let me give you some examples of how they would separate themselves. The Jewish people would look at the Gentiles and think that these are people that are less than. They're not good enough. In fact, there was some Jewish leaders who had a saying, and the saying went like this, God created Gentiles as the kindling for the fires of hell. Can you imagine being labeled and branded as, well, you're just, you, you, the reason you were born is so that you can be the kindling wood for the fires of hell. That'd be a little bit discouraging, wouldn't you think, to feel that and hear that? But that was their attitude toward the Gentiles. If a strict Jewish leader was walking down the road and they knew that it was a Jewish or a Gentile street, they would avoid it at all costs. If they could not avoid it, and a Gentile person was walking on the same street, they would hold their robes tightly against their body so that they would not get any spiritual cooties of the Gentiles. <laughs> That's how they had. That was their attitude. In fact... They would, according to one of their laws, this is not a biblical law, it was one of their traditions, they, it was unlawful for a Jew to help a Gentile woman in labor give birth to her child because that would be to add more heathens into the world. So they had derogatory slurs that they would make against Gentiles. One of the words that they would often use against the Gentiles would be dogs. Gentile dogs, and it was a way to look down upon all of the Gentiles. Another slur that they would often use is this term right here, which is uncircumcision. 
This was a racial slur used by the Jewish people against the Gentiles to say that you're less than, you're one of the uncircumcised. You don't belong. You don't have access to God like we have access to God. And so all it was about was creating separation. You may remember in the Old Testament, if you've studied it all, the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was taunting the Israel army, and they were all trembling in fear. And David came out and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who is defying the armies of the living God? Well, that was a derogatory term. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying, that's who you used to be. You used to be considered dogs. You used to be considered uncircumcised. You used to be considered less than by the Jewish people who were the circumcised, the ones who trusted in this outward act for their relationship with God. And that's how they were viewed, and that's how the people of the supposed chosen people of God viewed everybody else. So Paul is saying, You were separated. Remember, you, you're a Gentile. And remember, you're considered uncircumcised, and you're considered a dog. Now, that is the physical reality, but it's even worse when you look at the spiritual reality. And here's what he says Remember, you were called uncircumcised by the ones who called themselves the circumcised. At that time, notice all of these words. Here is our condition. At that time, you were separate from Jesus. You were separate from Christ, the Messiah. You were excluded from the true God, the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. And the worst possible situation is this. You have no hope and without God in the world. You ever felt that way? I have no hope. I feel so hopeless. Most start contemplating suicide when they feel the most desperate and hopeless. I have no hope. Therefore, the only possible decision is I have to take my life because life is so hopeless and meaningless. There is a search for hope everywhere you go. Do you know that religions are created trying to give people a false sense of hope, but it never happens because they're without Christ in the world. Anything created without Christ is hopeless. So you have people like Tom Cruise, hugely popular movie last summer, great movie, but he's consumed with Scientology, as is John Travolta, a false way to try to reach hope and you can't possibly have it. And then you have people like Madonna who's involved in the cabal, which is a Jewish mystical kind of thing. It's trying to find hope, but you can't find it. And then you have people like Orlando Bloom and others who are getting involved in Buddhism thinking, well, that's the way, that's the answer, but it never happens. And then you can have people caught up in psychic and mystic and ghost hunting and all of those things, trying to find hope and answers, but it never happens. Do you know that the world is seeking for hope? The world is seeking to answer some questions of life, such as, I want to know the purpose of life. I want to know the meaning of life. I want to know why I'm here. What is the meaning and purpose of it all? And nothing will answer it. Because without God, there is no hope. Without Christ, there is no hope. 
Henry David Thoreau was right when he wrote, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. It's because people are desperate and that's the condition of the world without Christ. So he says, you were separated, you were excluded, you weren't a part of anything, you were strangers, you were called uncircumcised, you were called a dog. That's what it was. That was then, but verse 13, this is now. But in Christ Jesus, Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah, for he is our Shalom. I just want to note that word. It's the word that we translate peace, but it's so much more. It's everything. It is contentment. It is purpose. It is meaning. And it is peace. Jesus is everything to you. And he is the one who, when you were the most far off from God, pulled you back. Do you know that you can always tell the depth of a well by the length of the rope that is lowered into the well to get water? You can also tell the depth of the salvation that we have received by the length that God went through in order to lower himself to save us. And he went through everything in order to save us. He brought us peace. And it says, the one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation. Again, let me talk about what this means. If you know about ancient Judaism, and I've told you that they viewed Gentiles extremely negatively, and they viewed themselves as the holy ones of God, you will also know that they were very much, again, keeping everything separate. You can't have access to God, only we can have access to God, and it's a separation that would happen. In Jewish culture, they had synagogues, much like our churches today. And in the synagogues, they were divided out in different sections. Men would sit with the men. Women would sit with the women. And then they would have a group in the back called the proselytes of the gate. Now, the proselytes are ones who were Gentiles who said, you know what? I would like to become a Jew religiously. Can I become one of you? They would go through incredible rituals. They would be circumcised. They would go through the ceremonial cleansings in the mikvah. And once they did, they could become a part of it only to a certain extent. They were kept in their own section in the back. So you had three different sections in the Jewish synagogue. The temple was even more separated. The temple of God was located in Jerusalem, and it's where everybody went to worship God. They would go seven times a year for the seven holy festivals or feasts of God, and they would worship at the temple. This is a picture of the temple. In the temple of God, it was all separate. In the temple of God, there was an outer court this outer court, this area in here, was known as the court of the Gentiles. They had some rooms over here as well. And this court of, um, uh, the court of the Gentiles was the only place the Gentiles could go. Surrounding the court of the Gentiles or surrounding the middle area, the holy area, they had a wall, and it was a wall of separation. On the wall of separation, there was simply a, an inscribing, kind of like a no trespassing sign. 
And the wall said this, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and the enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. And they meant it. And that people were killed when they passed this wall of separation unless they were a Jewish person. Now, inside of the wall, they were also divided into other courts. They had a women's court. They had a men's court. They had a priestly court. And then they had the holy place, which was right in the middle. And that holy place was a place that the high priest could only enter one time per year. And it was the place and the dwelling of God. And so what was it? It was all about separation. Now go back to what Paul just said. He broke down the middle wall of separation. What is Paul referring to? He's referring to this. He broke down the barrier so that you can have access, not just into the, into the middle area, not just into the court of men or court of women. You can march right up and you can have access to the holy of holies. You can have ac- access to God. You were once separate. You were once excluded. You were once denied entry. You were sitting in the nosebleed section of mile high, but now God has said, you can come down on the field and you can stand right there. You don't have to keep yourself separate. You can be right where I am. How did that happen? That happened through Jesus. Jesus came so that we no longer had to be separated. We no longer had to be divided. We no longer had to be excluded. We didn't have to stand far away. He brought us near. In fact, that's what one of the verses that Paul says, or one of the thoughts, he says, you once were far off, but now have been brought near. That was a term that, again, was used in that culture to describe somebody who now had access to God. The Gentiles were called far off. Dogs, uncircumcised, but now the wall is down and they have access. And now, though they were far off, now they have been brought near. Do you know that's who you now are? You have access to the holy God who wants a relationship with you, that he wants to be close to you, and he wants you to have access to him. And it's all through Jesus. Here's what it goes on to say. But now, in Christ Jesus, you have been far off. You've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He is our peace. The one made the two into one. He broke down that middle wall of separation that was in the temple. Within his flesh, he made powerless the law, the, the ceremonial traditions, the law code of the mitzvot contained in regulations. And he, why did he do this? Because he wanted you to have access to him. He did this in order to create within himself one new man from the two groups making peace. He did not elevate the Gentile to the level of Jews. He elevated Jewish and Gentile to the level of Christ. And he brought us together. There should not be division in the body of Christ because he has eliminated division. He goes on with this thought. And the purpose of Jesus was to reconcile both to God. He is our great reconciler. Do you know that sin is the great separator? Sin separates man from man, 
man from woman. It separates friendships. It separates husband and wife, wife from husband. Sin separates nation from nation. Not only does it separate man from man, but it separates man from God. And that's what sin does. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God had warned in the day that you eat from the tree, you will surely die. Adam and Eve ate, and the first thing God did was he came into the garden and he said, Adam, where are you? Now, now God did not need a GPS to know where Adam was. He knew right where Adam was, but he was asking from a spiritual sense, where are you? What have you done? You have separated us. No longer are we related. Now we are separate. It separates man from God. And it separates man from man in relationships. What was the next thing that would happen? Well, the children of Adam and Eve would now be separate. In fact, there would be a death that would happen between the two. One killed Cain and Abel. One killed the other. And it created separation. Sin is the great separator. But Jesus is the great reconciler. He has the ability to repair and to fix relationships between us and God and us and each other. Do you know that on the cross, and just get this mental picture in your mind, that on the cross as Jesus hung there, bloodied and beaten, with one arm he's reaching the Father, and the other arm he's reaching humanity, and he brings the two together. He is the great bridge that brings both together into relationship. That's reconciliation. The word reconcile in the Greek language is the Greek word katalasso. And the word katalasso means this. It means to change or alter thoroughly, to completely change, or to clear a path. You guys remember last year, the big snowstorm we had in April of last year. We actually had to close church one Sunday because of this snowstorm. If you're new to, to Wyoming uh, and you didn't experience that, just wait. You'll get to experience it someday. You'll get to know what that's like. Last year, we had this major snowstorm. On the road to our house, there was a 10-foot drift that covered the road. You could not get through this drift. It was blocking the way, and nobody could come or go because of the drift that was there. Do you know what had to happen? Somebody had to come and clear the barrier so that people could come and we could go. Jesus is the great snowplow. He is the one that clears the barrier, and he makes a way for us to have access. So Jesus cleared the obstacle. He cleared the barrier because he reconciled us to God. All right, let me wrap this up. He came to reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. That was his goal. I want to reconcile God and mankind through the cross and put the hostility to death. And Jesus came and proclaimed peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the same Spirit. So then, here's the conclusion. You are no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. But you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Here's the conclusion. You're no longer excluded 
You're no longer separate. There's no longer a dividing wall. Jesus has broken it all down so that you can have access to him. But not only do you have access to him, you have become, if you've trusted in Jesus, a part of the citizenship of God's kingdom. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Start acting like it. Start being it. But not only are you a citizen of the kingdom of God, he's also made you part of his family. You're a part of the member of God's household. You're a part of the family of God if you have accepted Jesus into your life. So question, how do I know if I've accepted Jesus into my life? Let me give you three little quick tests to know, am I really a part of the kingdom of God? Am I really a part of the family of the household of God? Well, test number one would be this. How do you feel around other Christians? Are you at ease with other believers or do being around Christians, being around believers make you feel a bit uncomfortable? Do you feel like an outsider? Do you feel more comfortable with a different crowd than you do with the family of God? It's amazing. Jennifer and I, if we ever leave on vacation or ever go somewhere, we always try to go to church. In August, my wife and I had the privilege of going to, um, to uh, the UK, and we, drove, we rented a car, we drove up through the UK, and we went to Scotland. We went to Edinburgh, Scotland. As we were there in Edinburgh, Scotland, touring around, we decided it's Sunday, we want to go to church. We walked into a church in Edinburgh, Scotland, and we had instant connection and relationship because they're part of the family of God. Wherever you go, you're a part of the family. You're a part of the citizenship. And we have instant connection. How do you do you feel more comfortable around the people of God? You should if you're part of the community, part of the citizenship. If you don't, that's a pretty big red flag that maybe I'm not really a part of that family. Number two, do you understand what is being talked about at church? Now, some of the things you think, well, I, I'm not quite getting all of it, but for the most part, I have a general understanding of what's being talked about. Wherever I go, as I get into the word of God, as I listen to pastors preach, I can pretty well understand what is being talked about and what is being said. Paul says in, uh, in, in, uh, in Corinthians, sorry, he says in Corinthians, uh, this thought, he says that the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit. So if you're not understanding what God is talking about, what it means, what salvation through Jesus means, that's another, again, red, uh, red flag that says maybe I'm not a part of the kingdom of God. And I need to rectify that situation. Number three, test number three, if it is a citizenship of the kingdom, are you conforming yourself to the rules of the kingdom? What, what do I mean by that? We're not supposed to be conformed, right? Well, there are certain things we do conform to. And that is what the word of God says. If the word of God says, this is how you should be, this is how you should act, this is what you should do, are you following what it says? Or do you say to God, I don't believe that, I don't agree with that, I don't want that, I want to do my own thing. Well, if that's the case, again, maybe you're not really a part of the kingdom of God because the natural person doesn't want that, but the person of the spirit says, I want to follow what God wants for my life. 
if you find yourself and you think, I don't really know if I'm a citizen of God's kingdom, I don't really feel like a member of God's household, then let's rectify that. How do you become that? Well, you become that by calling upon the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. You come to him and say to him, I know I'm a mess. I know my life is a mess. I know that I am a train wreck. Jesus, I need you. I know when you say you were, I don't feel like that. I feel like that's what I am today. Okay, I come to Jesus and I say, please forgive me. Would you please come into my life and help me to follow you? I want to be your citizen. I want to be part of your kingdom. I want to be a part of your family. Please, God. And when you come to him like that, he will forgive you and accept you into his kingdom, into his household. In just a moment, we're going to go into communion. And as we take communion, it's a time of remembering. We drink and eat the wafer to remember what Jesus has done. Do you know that the world drinks to forget? We drink to remember what Jesus has done. That he has given us salvation. That he has made us part of his family and his household. That he has reconciled us and brought us together with God. That we can be forgiven, we can be cleansed, we can be made new. Not because of us, but because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray and let's take of communion together. Father, I pray... That now as we celebrate communion, we would remember what you have done. You in the cross became the great reconciler. You broke down the barrier. There's no more separation. There is now a relationship with God that we can have because of your work on that cross. You cleared the path. You were the snowplow that made a way that we could have access. No longer are we known as Gentiles and dogs and the uncircumcised. Now we can be known as chosen, loved, adopted, and forgiven. As we celebrate this communion, Lord, help us to bring honor and glory to you and work in our hearts, Lord, so that we are fully yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.